My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. I am super excited and like totally honored to have such a wonderful guest with me today, Sean Flores. Um, he is going to be sharing his personal OCD experience with us, his own journey. Um, he's coming at us from the UK, which a lot of us know, right? There are just not as many resources there. So really navigating OCD from that standpoint, in addition to other unique perspectives that he's going to bring today. I'm talking about some harm intrusive thoughts, um, how OCD, how it seems to have like played whack-a-mole with you a bit, right? Like it seems like it's kind of like bounced from theme to theme, which is very characteristic of OCD. Um, and I like am super inspired by how lit up you get by speaking about this. Like, I think that is so like characteristic of the OCD recovery journey too. Like people with OCD, they struggle for so long. They finally get it. Like they start to see those little light bulbs go off. And then like, they just want to share. They just want to help people. They want to help and help and help. And as much as they are helping other people in that process, I think it's also helpful for you, right? Like it's helpful for you to continue to show up here and stay honest with yourself, like you said. So super happy to have you here, Sean. Thank you so much. Um, if you could just introduce yourselves to our audience a little bit, that would be great. It's it's funny. So yeah, my name's Sean Flores. Um, I do modeling, influencing in the UK. I'm writing a lot of articles at the moment about mental health, in particular OCD. Been bothering journalists, organisations to get the name out there. But as you were talking, I felt really emotional, and I think I I feel really emotional because in first in for first first of all, um, I'm really grateful to be on your platform. But also to know that these conversations out there are really helping other people is what matters more to me than anything else. And yesterday I woke up in the morning and it was about three o'clock in the morning I'm like let's go let's change the world and I and the first thing that came to my head was is this what it feels like to be empowered and emboldened by your purpose and your passion and I think I've really figured out what my purpose and my passion is and that's to help people with OCD and to really allow the people from my community especially ethnic minorities and black people to come out of hiding to no longer be in that closet to actually be free so that's something that's been really important to me. And I've just been on a journey ever since the 4th of June. That was when I had my diagnosis and I'm here with you today. That's incredible. And you are using words like empowered and emboldened. And that's what we need people to grow into throughout this OCD recovery process, right? So it's like, it totally makes sense how, why you continuing to advocate and continuing to speak about these topics. Like it's a very assertive thing, right? Like you're no longer kind of tiptoeing around your thoughts. You're no longer avoiding everything that you want to do. You've identified your purpose. You've identified, you know, this, this drive to want to help other people. And it's very assertive. And that's kind of what you have to do with OCD. You have to go in the direction of what it is that you're uh, fearful of. You have to, instead of isolating and avoiding, go forward in the direction of your values. So it's all a very assertive process. And it does, it makes you feel very empowered, very emboldened. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. So, um, 
I think it's always really interesting. And I remember mine too. It was a day in uh, September, kind of like when my quote unquote, when my brain broke, like that's what so many people kind of resonate with. It's like, yeah, maybe I've been a little bit anxious my whole life and I've had like some, you know, dark clouds here and there, but then there just seems to be with OCD, almost like this moment where your brain breaks, like one thought that just hits you like a lightning bolt, a slap in the face. And it's like, whoa, so many people can go back there. So I want to go back there. I want our audience members, if you're okay with it, um, to go back there. And what was that experience like for you? Because undoubtedly there are going to be people who are like, oh my gosh, me too. I thought I was the only one. So what happened? Why June 4th? So on June 4th, um, I woke up and when I woke up, I was having all these intrusive thoughts around rape, murder, suicide, killing people, every, everything you could imagine under the sun was in my head. And I woke up and I said to myself, I can't do this anymore. I can't take it. So over here in the UK, we have the NHS, um, which is the National Health Service. And they've been overbooked, over, I don't even know what term you want to use. They, they don't have enough time for people, essentially. And I said to them, I need help. I said, please, I need help. There's something not quite right with me. And um, they recommended to me a book, actually, which I've got here, which is called Break Free from OCD. Um, But I haven't been, I I wasn't able to read it at the time because my brain wasn't in a place to be able to read it. What happened was I started scouring the internet in a last ditch attempt to understand what was going on in my head. I had seen things on OCD. I had seen things on all these different mental illnesses and mental conditions. And I found a therapist via the internet, but it was just a, it was a shot. It was a shot in the dark because I didn't know what I would have done if nobody had replied on that day. For days before that, I was suffering. Days before that, I had um, a really bad suicide thought that made me panic. I ran home and I called all my friends and I told them I'm suicidal. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to just take my life. That's what I said to them. And they stayed with me for a couple of days. But on that Saturday, I was home alone again. So when I found this lady on the internet, her name is Emma Garrick, otherwise known as the Anxiety Whisperer now. I begged for a phone call and I said to her, please, can you help me understand what's going on in my head? And what she turned around and said to me, when I, well, when I explained to her, why am I, why am I having all these thoughts? Am I a bad person? Does it mean I want to hurt people? She told me there and then she already knew what it was. She said she could tell it was OCD straight off the bat. And I was distraught. I was in absolute tears. My mind was in agony. Nothing in my mind made any sort of sense. And she said, we'll start therapy on Monday. And I waited until that phone call, after that phone call, Saturday afternoon to the evening to Sunday. And then when Monday hit, I remember I just sat there on my computer waiting, anxious, trembling to start. And the next couple of sessions after that, again, I was just distraught, crying constantly because I felt like I was being plagued by these thoughts. But thankfully, I'm in a much better place now. Um, I was saying to you off recording that my new obsession at the moment is schizophrenia, the fear of hearing voices, the fear of losing control. But with time, things do get better. Um, I've actually come down off my 100 milligrams of surgery and I've come down to 50 because I think 100 is a bit too much. I'm just trying to just keep myself busy to really help other people out there because to remove myself from the victim mindset that I was in when I was sad and upset, it's been to serve others. And that's what's been so important to me. Absolutely. And, you know, your experience initially probably was so similar to so many other people's experiences, right? Like 
we talked prior to this and you, it was never on your radar to think that this was obsessive compulsive disorder. You were having all these thoughts that you're even saying panicked you and they were not consistent with your character. They were incongruent is kind of how we say it to your like values and stuff. That's why they really scared you. They were not wanted thoughts by any means, but we don't necessarily identify that readily as a society, right? Like we don't identify that as, oh, that's obsessive compulsive disorder. I read about that. Or there was that movie about that, right? We think of OCD as being like fear of germs and needing to have everything perfect. And those manifestations can certainly happen. They can be very debilitating. But if we just stick to those conventional ideas, we don't, we have people like you, Sean, who are really struggling with these very like slam dunk characteristic expressions of OCD, but they don't realize it's OCD. So like, I can totally just imagine how lost you probably were. And you probably did feel like you're losing control and like, you're going crazy. That's, that must've been so scary. It, it was absolutely terrifying. And I'll give you an example. And why I speak so honestly about this is because when I've spoken on other places and um, written articles, a lot of men have reached out to me and they said, I thought I was the only one. And I think what's sad is, I was talking to a guy earlier on today and he said, imagine the amount of men we could have, we've probably lost to suicide because they've had thoughts that are inconsistent with their values and they've got a big fear that they could hurt somebody. So when I was on the train one time, I was just looking at, I was looking around and then I looked at this lady and then the thought popped into my head and it was just rape her. And I'll never forget, I became so paranoid. I started panicking. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, sorry, I hope I, I'm not sure. You can swear. Like, sorry. <laughs> you can swear. Yeah. I'm just, because that's I'm, kind of what people are thinking, right? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, that, your first yeah. initial reaction. Like, where the hell did that come from? Exactly. And I was convinced. I was like, no, 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 please, please. I don't want to. I, I started arguing with myself because another thing that's happened to me is why OCD plays on me is there's times when a thought pop into my head, you're hearing voices and I start to run with the thought and I've had to learn to stop the train. But that time really scared me. It terrified me. And I think because things like sexual assault and suicide are so against my values, OCD really knows how to play on it. I grew up with a army of women raising me after my dad died on Christmas day. And I was raised by three aunties and my mum and the thought of doing such an egregious act to a woman absolutely terrifies me. And I think it terrifies most good moral men out there. And I've said this before, but I think even more us men with OCD, there's something about it that adds that extra weight. So that's why that moment is one that I really profoundly remember above probably arguably most of those. I cannot believe that your dad died on Christmas day. That must've been really, really, I mean, it's, it's always awful. It's always sad. Yeah. Um, and we know that, you know, not always, but a lot of times these traumas, like these big life events, these huge changes can kind of, you know, they change us, they change us. And whether it's like then and there in that moment or kind of later, right. Like that formed you and that formed your values. And I always tell people that, <clears throat> wherever you're not willing to accept uncertainty, that's where OCD is going to fester. For me, that was, I needed to be 100% sure, 100% certain that my son was not going to die before me. Like I remember the relentless pursuit of wanting to know for sure that he would not die before me, which is silly, right? Like I can't know that. I can't know that information for sure. Um, 
but I really, for some, I, I was in it, I was in the trenches and I thought like, if I just look at it, look up some statistics a little bit more and like pay attention to his health a little bit more and enjoy every single memory and time that we have together, then that won't happen and I'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, wherever you're not willing to accept uncertainty, that's where OCD is going to latch onto and where we're not willing to accept uncertainty is usually very much framed by our values. It's our biggest fears. So I always tell people like, I would sooner trust somebody with my son. Like I would rather, I would sooner trust somebody who has like pedophilic OCD around my son than a complete stranger because research shows, and we have actual evidence now to support this, that like individuals who have these unwanted intrusive thoughts, like we do, they're less likely to do it than the, than people in the average population. Um, but it just conflicts with our values to such an extreme degree. Absolutely. And I think the one thing that always terrified me by having these kind of thoughts would be if I acted on them, how could I ever live with myself? So right, it's, right. it's, I even said to one of my friends, I said, I'll trust you with my children. I'd have no worry. I, I would leave them around you. And he has pedophilic OCD, but he's absolutely terrified to talk about it. He will not talk about it. And with OCD, obviously it being the ego dystonic thought, I think one of the biggest things that frightens me is how many people will continue to sit in silence when you deserve to have a voice and to talk about it? You deserve help. Because as I said, the very first thing that worried me was why am I having these thoughts? Um, and as you said, the way I explained it to my therapist, as I said, I feel like as if something is going to snap in me. That's the only way I could describe it. So probably that was the brain broke moment. Yeah. And then from there, it just spirals, right? Like you feel like you're losing control. You feel like you're the only one who is going through this. You've never heard anybody else talking about that before. Um, and yeah, it's just really distressing. I'm so glad, um, that you were able luckily to find some good quality education online. I know we talked about this, um, but you know, like years and years ago, we didn't have Instagram, right? We didn't have like this awesome, just at our fingertips, community online with all of this awesome education and all these resources. I'm so glad that you were able to find that. Um, what was that like for you when you finally were told that this is obsessive compulsive disorder? I'm sure that would have been like very strange. Well, I didn't really understand it. I asked for it to be explained to me. And after the call, I went down the rabbit hole and I searched through the internet. I downloaded books to understand this. And then what worried me was the idea that some people, some people never recover. Um, so what I did was, as I said, I just kept reading. I kept educating myself. I went, I searched in every corner you could find. And I learned to understand my brain. So it's funny when you read things about your brain, it's your brain essentially learning about its own brain. So it's quite funny. It's quite a cycle. Um, but I believe in many ways, as much as I hate social media as a mechanism because of, um, how social media creates echo chambers. I believe social media has been revolutionary for those people who have access to it, especially for those who have mental illnesses or any sort of mental conditions, because they can look on the internet and realize that they're not alone. And I think that's something that's been able, that's a positive that's come out of a hotly contested platform such as social media. But yeah, I'm just, most of the time I'm quite grateful because when people have reached out to me, I tell them I know exactly what it feels like. And even for yourself being a therapist, you've got a lived experience of OCD, mm -hmm. which adds that it compounds that empathy and it 
allows you to really get in touch with some how somebody feels because you know what it felt like to be that low. And it's even something I'm considering now. I'm really considering to become a therapist because not a lot of black men in the UK are therapists. But also in general, not a lot of black men speak about mental health. And our relationship with the medical institutions are quite scattered and quite troubled because of history. So this is what I'm hoping to be able to change. But yeah, research and education is exactly what happened when, yeah, I got the, I was told it's OCD. Mm-hmm. And what was it like when you like actually started, when you started to learn all these things, but also when you started to learn like, well, I'm going to have to not do these rituals. I'm actually going to have to do these exposures. I think you had mentioned doing some scripts and stuff. Like, what was it like actually getting into the exposure part of it? Because that had to have been completely new to you too. And it's so paradoxical. Absolutely. It, it, it's quite literally. So most people in life have said to me, are you not supposed to have some fears? There's some things that are good and logical to have. I'm like, well, with OCD, you learn to run towards your fears because that's where you will grow the most, right? And as I said to you in the No OCD Live, the, 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 the one that haunted me the most was when I had to write a script. I had to write a whole rape script and I was visibly crying and shaking and I never thought words or thoughts could bring me to such a level where I'd be absolutely terrified. And I remember after that phone call, I had a good sleep and I had to watch movies, obviously, on the concept of sexual assault and so on. And it wasn't easy because my my very first question would be to myself in my head would be, would I do that? Could I end up doing that? If I watched anything on domestic or violence, anything just kept circling around my head. But it's it, it, exposure response prevention is such a key part. But I do understand how it can be terrifying for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And it just goes against like all of your instincts. It goes against everything in your body. Your brain is designed and wired to keep you alive, to keep you safe. But obviously with OCD, it's, it's responding to false alarms, right? Like we're we're responding to these thoughts in our brains as though it was a bear in front of us. And we allow it to isolate us. We allow it to you know, in some cases it it leads to suicide. It leads to people ending their lives and it's really, really debilitating. Um, I guess like, you know, in honor of OCD, we're coming off of OCD awareness week here this year, but what would you want people to know about OCD? So as much as with OCD, we get triggered quite often. There's also another term that I think is really important and it's called glimmers. So it's called those glimmers of hope, those glimmers of happiness, those glimmers of gratitude are things that you really should hold on to, especially when you have OCD. And I no longer like to use the word suffering with OCD because I think language is really important. It's about learning to live and coexist with OCD and to remember that it's a sh- it's just nothing more than a little reminder on your phone, but this phone is your brain that, oh, this is against my values. This is just reminding me what I'm against. And this is reminding me what I'm for. And you know what you're for. You're probably one of the nicest, one of the best people in this world. And OCD is not your death sentence. I think in many ways what OCD taught me was I need to live every single day and no longer exist. It gave me a new lease of life in a sense of now I'm really trying to change other people's lives as well as to change my own. But one thing I've also been able to realize, as I said, be of service if you can, if you have the emotional, the mental bandwidth, be of service to the OCD community and try to educate people. Because over here in the UK, 
Their show in 2013 that was first um, aired, Obsessive Compulsive Cleaners, has saturated the public discourse on what we now understand to be OCD, which is, as you said before, contamination and cleaning. There's so much more to OCD. It's not a quirk. It's not an adjective. It generally is distressing. So educating yourself is going to be important. Researching, being around people that want to see you better as well and people that want to encourage you to come out of your darkness. Because I think quite often some people, as much as they have really good intentions at heart, can keep you locked into the victim mentality. You need people that are going to just help pick you up every day when you need it. They refuse to allow you to give up on yourself and they will refuse to give up on you. So having a sense of community is of utmost importance and I cannot stress that enough. Okay, so I've been talking on my podcast for a while now about Magic Mind. I'm seven days in right now and I'm feeling so good. I'm also about halfway through my 14 days of magic challenge where I've been trying to be more mindful with eating, trying to meditate every day, and trying to do something for myself every morning before I go and do, do, do for other people. I've been doing okay. The waking up and taking care of myself first is hard with Eli, my five-year-old, but Magic Mind has definitely helped. The purpose of this challenge is to help people feel like their best selves for 14 days while also saving the Amazon rainforest in the process. You can contribute to saving the rainforest by just posting content with the 14 days of magic hashtag. And for every 10,000 views, you guys, that 14 days of magic kits, Magic Mind donates $10 to the reforestation of the Amazon rainforest with a 30,000 donation goal. Even just watching the 14 days of magic hashtag videos helps increase the donations. How cool is that? You can access the challenge by going to magicmind.co slash pages slash 14 days of magic to submit your content. You could even win a subscription of Magic Mind enough for up to three months and all of the views generated will be matched in cash as donations to the reforestation project. Use code ATHT14 for 40% off your first subscription. After seven days with Magic Mind, I've noticed that I'm way more productive, way more tuned in, so to speak, due to the adaptogens that Magic Mind contains. When you're under stress, they jump into action and lower your cortisol levels, which helps you relax. This stuff is so good. I am absolutely loving it, and I know you'll love it too. So again, you can access the challenge by going to magicmind.co slash pages slash 14 days of magic, head there to submit your content, enter to win a subscription of Magic Mind, and be sure to use and watch the hashtag 14 days of magic to help donate to the reforestation project. And you probably don't have a lot of that in the UK, right? Like here, I mean, especially with COVID, we've been able to have and really lean into the virtual space, but... I mean, I, do you know anyone like personally who has OCD? Probably not. I mean, you probably do, but they might not be talking about it. So what is your experience? Like, how do you get that community? So what's funny is I send out broadcasts on my WhatsApp and I just sent my article to over 400 people, right? And my mom saw it and she never knew what OCD was. My auntie saw it. My friend saw it. And when I've called up some of my friends and I'm like, oh, you know, I've got OCD, right? And they go, yeah, I've got it too. I'm like, well, why? I'm like, why on earth didn't you tell me? They said, well, it's quite shameful to talk about. And one of my good friends now who also has OCD, um, when I told him I was diagnosed with OCD and I told him about my sexual orientation obsessions, 
he always said to me, he said he believed I had OCD from the get-go because his exact words were, I, I was the straightest guy he knew. So how could I question my sexuality? So I, I'm, I've know quite a few people now with OCD and from having like podcasts and articles and me just being willing to meet people and people being willing to meet me. And then I went to the OCD Game Changers event on Saturday. I've been able to meet more and more people with OCD. And it, it felt in many ways quite surreal, the event, because as I, I know for most of us that have had OCD breakdowns and OCD relapses, it feels incredibly terrifying. I think there's no other mental illness from our lived, well, from my lived experience that is just so isolating. So I do know quite a lot of people now and I'm more than happy to put people in contact with people. Um, I'm not a professional. I'm thinking about becoming a therapist, but also... I have an electronic file of books that whenever people come to me, I'm like, would you like some books to read? And we could start a book club. That's something else that's a new idea for me. But we're going to build a community here in the UK, especially for us ethnic minorities, especially for men, women. I'm going to build something that's going to be a game changer over here. So that's we're going to know people, even if we don't know many people. Mm -hmm. And... I, in my moments when I was really in the thick of it with postpartum OCD and my experience is always so backwards, right? Like people like you, and this is like the vast majority of people, they experience OCD having had no context for it whatsoever. So they feel very lost. They feel alone. They feel like they're losing control of their mind. Um, and then they learn what it is and then they get really into it and that changes their life and they end up wanting to be therapists. And that's incredible. Mine was the opposite, right? Like I always struggled with anxiety a little bit, but never really considered it to be obsessive or compulsive was a therapist, you know, since working with this community since 2008 in 2018, I had my son. So 10 years of experience I had, I never had the experience of, oh my gosh, what is this? Oh my gosh, what's going on with me? I always knew what was going on with me. I knew that I was having harm intrusive thoughts of my baby and I shouldn't have been ritualizing, but I was, and the stakes are too high. And I didn't care what the OCD cycle was going to be 10 days from now. I cared about my son's safety right then and there. Um, so I just think it's, I think it's incredible that like there was this moment in time for you and for so many other people where like, you truly had no idea what was going on. And like, I never had that. I'm so lucky. But like, I feel for you. I feel for you because that must have been so scary to just like not know what was going on. And I know that there are other people out there who are feeling the exact same way. Um, so related to that, like, what would you have said to Sean before? Like what Sean knows now, like if you could kind of go back and envision like Sean just kind of in the beginning of everything, like June 4th or June 5th, what would you go back and say? That's actually such a good question because quite often I've ruminated about the past um quite yeah in the past I've well in the past I've ruminated about the past right so I've always sat down and be like what would I have done differently and in many ways I don't think I would have done anything differently and why I say that is because I don't think I'd be the person I am today and I don't think I'd be able to be in service to the community as I am now I think as much as everything that's happened that's been good and bad and negative my brain has never been so um, creative in a very strange way. Um, but also, I don't think I would have been able to see the world in the way that I see it now, to live every day. And perhaps maybe if I'm going to really dig deeper, what would I want to do? I think I wouldn't want to take those moments for granted that I took in the past. Those 
those times when I was a bit afraid to do something, I would have gone and done it because now I would have realized that thoughts can't hurt me, but also I grow in the places where I'm most uncomfortable. And that's something that I've really had to realize. And even with yourself, Jenna, I saw recently on your post on your Instagram, um, how someone was complaining about what you offer. And I think what you offer is incredibly cheap compared to what a lot of other people offer. And I think you're doing a pivotal, important work that most people don't realize because when people figure out how much private therapy costs, it's in, it's so expensive. So I just wanted to give you just a little word of encouragement there. Thanks. I didn't know that you read my stuff. So I'm like real shy now. <laughs> no, of course I read your stuff because I followed you on Instagram um, and then I followed No OCD and I reached out to you first, but then I think I had to get in contact. You sent me, got me in contact with No OCD. So no, I've definitely been a key fan and an advocate of your work. And just to know there's other people out there who have it, um, regardless of skin color, race or background, it's just, it's a unifying force. So I'm just grateful for what you're doing for the OCD community as well. And it cannot be looked down upon. It has to be, your profile needs to be raised because having a podcast like this is a new way for us to, you know, educate other people, you know? Absolutely. And I, you mentioned it. I don't want to let it slip. I, I want to talk about it. I want to lean into it. I know something that you personally feel like very, very passionately for like even deeper than just this broad OCD work and awareness is helping young black men. Um, Absolutely. Because as we've talked about, right, like you went to the OCD game changers event and you're the only black person there. Absolutely. Um, I will. Yeah. There's something about that. Like, uh, I don't know what it is. Like, like you feel so strongly about that. And I could, I could sense you, like, I would not be surprised at all. I could totally see you being like the face of that, right? Like the yeah. face and the representation of what that experience is like. And somebody who other white black, you know, black men, they can look to you and, and say, wow, like I see myself in him. Cause we don't have that. Right. Like you're saying, even in the UK, you don't have that. So speak to just your experience with that and why you think that you were the only black man there um so maybe let me give you a little bit more context one day i was sick and tired of these thoughts and i literally woke up and i said to myself "Fuck this we're gonna go and change the world we're gonna start writing my story and we're gonna recycle my pain into power purpose and passion we need that on a t-shirt Fuck this i'm gonna go change the world <laughs> yeah that's my that's my all right cool sean flores 2022 trademark if you take it i'm suing you now i'm only playing it's so good so good <laughs> i love it <laughs> yeah it, it was literally just woke up one day and i said "Fuck it and when it was the ocd game changers event before that i was like should i go I have a feeling I'm going to be the only black guy. And I literally just said to myself again, who cares? There's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? So when I turn up, obviously um, I was, yeah, the only black guy there. And I'm quite tall, so I'm six foot three, quite broad. And I intimidate most people. So I just said to myself, I need to take away all my preconceived notions of myself and remove this imposter syndrome that I've had in many um, buildings and places and institutions before. And I just went head first. I went up and I spoke to everyone. I got in contact with everyone. But what worried me with um, me being the only black guy there is when I told other people I was the only black guy, they said they're not surprised. And I said, why are we not surprised? Well, in some um, essences, our relationship with mental health over the years, generationally, has really been impacted by culture, right? So if you look at colonization and slavery, the way that we interact with 
I suppose, institutions people deem as racist and there's stigma and there's discrimination and other barriers that prevent people from getting the help that they need. Yet, statistically speaking, in the UK, black men are more likely to be diagnosed with some kind of mental illness or psychotic um, illness than white people are, but yet we're less likely to access mental health services. But when we're likely to be in touch with mental health services is through the criminal justice system. So through the police, through the courts. And I think that needs to change because essentially what you're saying to people is we have to be arrested or sectioned to then finally get the help we need. And at that point we know it is the tip of the iceberg. But I think a lot of the time with masculinity, I know there's, it's a big buzzword, toxic masculinity. But a lot of the time, us men just do not like to talk about our issues. It's that powerful loner stereotype. It's a man must always be in control. You know, a man must always take care of himself. He must be of service to others. But when that man breaks down, who's really there for him? And that's why I really want to change it for men, because I know what it's like to feel lonely at times. I know what it's like to feel that as a man, you always just have to be strong. And having OCD doesn't make you weak. Your, your brain just operates very differently. So yeah, that, I think that, that would be my answer for that. Amazing. Yeah, I could totally see you, you know, as you get more into this and as you raise more awareness, you know, and, and it's going to impact your own recovery too, right? Like you said earlier, like it kind of keeps you honest, right? Like I think you mentioned either right in the beginning of us recording or right before, like you wanted to just be hundred percent honest. Like that was your Absolutely. promise to yourself. And, you know, so much of this is so shameful. So much of it makes you feel so guilty. It makes you just feel so isolated, but the antidote to all of that is like sharing, right? Like sharing, getting it out there and bringing it into the light, so to speak. It can't, you know exist in the, it can't exist in the light. And I mean, every day, even if I've been meeting with someone like a, a client for a year, like it, it, I walk away from those conversations as me, the therapist, like teaching these skills and helping them feel empowered. Like I walk away and I feel like I'm stronger. Um, I don't know where I would be, honestly, if I wasn't a therapist still on this field. And if I wasn't, you know, continuing to remind myself and, you know, having to go through all this education, like I, I wouldn't, I'm, I wouldn't be practicing it. Right. So it really does this advocacy work. It keeps you honest. So I would love to know more of like, what are your plans? Like, I almost see like two different sets of plans, right? Like one, I would love to know like what your plans are for advocacy. Like, you know, you want to be a therapist, you want to keep honing in here. Like, what are your plans there? But then also what are your plans? Like personally, like, how are you going to continue to take care of yourself? You say that you have like some new themes popping up. So um, yeah, just talk to us about like what's coming up for you now with everything that you have going on. So funnily enough, um, even today, since coming down off the search really, and I'm, I felt incredibly anxious and it's about just learning to sit with that discomfort and sit with that uncertainty and realize OCD is just rearing its head. Now my plans for advocacy, I really want to speak at the International OCD Conference um, next year in San Francisco. And I've made friends with a, like, a guy called Jonathan Schultz, OCD Strong, where we're quite close now. And I love um, him. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's such, he's one of the guys I spoke to when I was going through a lot of the hardship. And um, I'm planning to go down to America, meet him and then go to the International OCD Conference. So that's another thing I'm planning. But also over here, I've actually got a really big plan and that's to line up some of the top black rappers, um, men and women ideally, but a lot of them that have mental Ill difficulties and create a cipher that talks a lot about mental illness because I think that's gonna be something really important. We know 
music and especially rap hip hop is such an important medium for the community because the lyrics are expressions and they tell stories of the world. And I think that's something else that I really want to be able to do. But how I also take care of myself is I meditate every day. I journal every single day. So when I catch myself obsessing, I practice brain dumping. So I make sure I get my journal and I write it down. And I always um, reaffirm myself. And I say things such as thoughts cannot hurt me. And today was a good day in spite of um, anxiety and intrusive thoughts. Today will be a good day in spite of anxiety and intrusive thoughts. And I always say at the end of every one of my journal pieces, I love you, Sean Flores. I always tell, remind myself of how much I love myself because... At times, it's very easy for us to fall out of love with ourselves. When I was first going through what happened, I was severely depressed. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to shower. I didn't want to do anything. Um, it, it Existing felt like turmoil. But there's a great quote by Frederick Nietzsche um, who says, he who has a why can endure any suffering. And now I know my why is to help other people. I can endure the suffering that happens within because there's a goal at the end of it. So... That's also how I take care of myself. But just making sure that I just do the basics every day. Um, I keep researching. And now um, I'm trying to develop more articles to pitch OCD in different ways to talk about the black community's relationship with mental health and so much more. And as I've said, I am the unelected representative for the black community when it comes to OCD. So until someone else comes along um, and I will we will, we will be collaborating and hopefully I can give the platform to other people. I'm going to keep doing the work that needs to be done for my community. You've been elected. I love that. Well, <laughs> I well, love well, it. Well, do you know what it is? I said unelected. I know, I, but like, yeah. I, I feel like we have elected you. Like we uh, have humbled. You. <laughs> humbled. Yes. Um, yeah. So along those lines, Sean, thank you so much for sharing your story. So many people are going to see themselves in you. This is going to help so many people. I would love for you to give us a little bit more detail about where people can find you, where people can, like, if there are any articles or specific talks you've given, like, let us know, um, let us know here. And then I will be sure you guys who are listening that all of this is going to be, um, in my show notes. So you can keep up to date with everything that Sean has going on, um, and learn more about him and his perspective. So go ahead, Sean. So yeah, I'm also I'm actually planning to pitch um, my third TEDx talk um, about OCD to raise awareness because in the UK, um, 89p is spent on per OCD patients. So it's severely underfunded, severely under researched. I've just signed up for psilocybin OCD trials in the UK as well. So I'm hoping that I get into that because we know that psilocybin has a really powerful effect on those of OCD. Now, if you want to find me, um, my socials, I'm Dershawn Flores, so T-H-E-S-H-A-U-N-F-L-O-R-E-S -E -E on pretty much all my socials. You'll be able to find me. If you just type in Sean Flores on Google, you'll be able to find my articles, um, my podcast that I'm going to be getting back to once I'm in a better headspace, um, my Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. I'm, anywhere, I'm, I'm everywhere. And my DMs are always open and I mean that. I think a lot of people say it quite often, but I will always try to make time for people as best as I can. So yeah, you can find me absolutely everywhere. And if you've got a story you want to share with me, let's do it. If you want to collab, let's do it. If you just want to talk, let's do it. If you, Whatever it might be, I'm here to help people. So Jenna, I'm really humbled that I've been able to come on your platform and you've given me the time to speak and I hope this inspires other ethnic minorities and people from my community. I really do because I shouldn't be the only one or one or few speaking about this. We all deserve to have a voice. We've got to give a voice to the voiceless and hope to the hopeless. 
I love that. That is a flawless place to end. Thank you, Sean, so much for being here. Um, and like I said, you guys, everything will be in my show notes. Um, so thank you, Sean, so much for being here. You are changing the world and I'm so happy to know you. I'm so honored that you were able to come here. So thank you so much. Most definitely. We'll speak soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.